Hello to all our listeners and welcome to this edition of Coffee and Conversation, Workplace Wisdom Unleashed. This is the 2020 Parallax Partnerships podcast that we intend to run as a series of conversations entertaining experienced senior business leaders and influencers in the leadership sphere over a cup of coffee, a bicky and a chat. This month we were going to be hearing from Steve Taylor about his experience drawn from his 30 years in logistics. However, while relevant, we thought that in the light of the massive change that we are all experiencing in the world right now, courtesy of coronavirus, we would move things around a bit and see if there was some wisdom to be found from someone right in the thick of it right now. So, instead, today we are going to be talking to Tim Evans, who is currently Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University, and has held multiple roles, both in the UK and internationally, in government and the private sector at a senior executive level. Our intention has always been to hold these conversations face to face, but in the light of the guidance regarding social distancing, we are now going to be meeting virtually to have our cup of coffee and a chat. So this week, Sarah met up with Tim, and I will leave it to her to introduce today's chat. Thanks, Chris. It's Sarah here, and I'm delighted to be able to introduce Tim who has been ranked by City AM as one of the top 75 economic and financial thinkers. Given the highly disruptive events going on right now, there's nobody better placed to cut through the chaos and help us, as leaders, build resilience and navigate a path so that we're ready to make the most of the opportunities that will eventually, undoubtedly, emerge. In times of turmoil... One of the most important things we can do for ourselves and others is to manage our state. And in the words of Corporal Jones of Dad's Army fame, don't panic! But of course that's sometimes easier said than done when we find ourselves in the midst of upheaval. However, as you will hear, Tim's diverse background in business, media, government and education are core to his philosophy and practice of regaining balance in troubled times. So stay tuned to discover the key to regaining your balance when faced with the unexpected and disruptive events. So Tim, welcome to the podcast Coffee and Conversations Leadership Wisdom Unleashed. It's wonderful to have you here. My absolute pleasure. Well, we are speaking in completely unprecedented times, aren't we? Um, Obviously, there is so much going on out there with coronavirus, which is affecting businesses and leaders. And I just wondered maybe if you could perhaps kick off by talking to us about what you think this reveals to us about leadership today. Well, I think the first thing is that um, that a lot of these issues we're facing at the moment and a lot of the known and unknown unknowns, if you will, that we're Mm. facing, um, I think my first reaction is that we should be informed by history. And, of course, the reality is, given the fragilities of the human condition, this is not the first time we have faced a crisis. We've got to remember our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, they saw it all. They saw world wars. They saw uh, a Wall Street crash. Uh, they saw uh, the pandemic, the Spanish flu of 
1919 that killed huge numbers of people. And I think that the first thing to be said is that we've got to remember that, in a sense, although this is unprecedented maybe in our uh, ever youthful lifetime, <laughs> this is not unprecedented if you just look back through the course of your own family. Mm. And of course, I mean, if you're looking in terms of business, leadership, the economy, then what history tells us is that there are two potential outcomes. One is the the have a, a very short but very sharp shock. Um, this is a, a virus, a pandemic that could peak uh, in relatively brief times, you know, in May perhaps or, or early June. And yes, the, the downturn could be enormous, but it would take therefore the form of a short, sharp V. Mm. The risk, of course, is if it's uh, not short and sharp, but it's very deep, and it's not a V, it's a U. And if it is prolonged over quite a few weeks and months, then um, all manner of things could happen. I mean, at the end of the day, if you go really theoretically, then you can start to see the collapse of ultimately central banks and currencies, and you could start to see what is also not unprecedented, um, but you can see what is called uh, monetary breakdowns, uh, hyperinflations. Hyperinflations, we have one in the very early 20s in Germany. Again, the Reichmark collapsed at the end of the Second World War. Uh, we recent, recently had the hyperinflation uh, in Europe. For example, the Serbian hyperinflation of 1993 was unspeakable for the population there. Now, would it get that bad? Let's hope not. And history suggests it probably won't. But theoretically, um, we're living in mm. very interesting and potentially dangerous times. Mm. And so maybe what do you think a business is obviously being affected right now? Business is being profoundly affected already. We're already seeing how people are responding to this, how leaders are responding to this. What are your observations about what we are seeing? Do you think that we are stepping up to the plate? Do you think that there this reveals something else about how we need to be as leaders? Well, the first thing is that whether you're in business or whether uh, you are a national leader, uh, be it a prime minister, a president, a monarch, whether you're a chief medical officer, a chief scientific officer, wherever you are, whichever regime you're in, um, you are, as all leaders and human beings always are, you're, you're challenged with what philosophers call the epistemological challenge. Simply put, that means the problem of knowledge. And for all the models and all the predictions and all the mathematics and all the data and all the assumptions that we all carry with us, and we all do, mm -hmm. um, the reality is the future is unpredictable. And to an extent, you can never control, you can never model for all the variables. So you have to sympathize that there are people on duty, there are national leaders, people at the top of their business, professions, wherever, and however much they're supposed to be engendering confidence, they are only mortal creatures. They, they're, they're riven with the human condition, and the future is ultimately unknowable. So like the rest of us, they can make the best fist of it they can. And in that sense, my, you know, my sympathy and my heart goes out. Mm. And it's very tough to be a chief medical officer or the head of an airline or whatever uh, a business at this time. So all the old cliches of resilience, uh, adaptability, 
come to mind. Well, I would say, and this is a really, you know, uh, optimistic note, we know from history that however great um, the problems are, people are resilient, they find new ways of doing things, and we, we've got lots of technology that may be, able to, may be able to help us through this. But crucially, even when you see really high levels of destruction, um, you, they're always followed by almost unimaginable booms. And I'll give you two very brief examples because I think it's helpful mm. to illustrate what I'm saying. One is, if you imagine the absolute destruction of, of huge swathes of Germany by the, you know, by the end of 1945, you think of the dropping of the atom bomb uh, on, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the firebombing in effect of Tokyo, the absolute devastation that Japan suffered. For all that, these became very, very quickly the great uh, and successful economic powerhouses of the post-war world. In a sense, the further you go down in the short term, the greater mm. the unleashing of potential in the medium and long term. So that's what history really tells us. And I think we should always keep in that mind, keep that in mind, however dark these days might be. There really will always be light at the end of the tunnel. Business, leadership, nations, trading blocks are ultimately irrepressible. So it feels like to me that there are almost two parallel strands to this for any leader. There is the how do we lead in the turbulence and the crisis right now? How do we lead ourselves and the people around us when there is a lot of anxiety and fear? But as you just pointed out, there is always going to be light at the end of the tunnel. So there's also this second strand for me, which was how do we make ourselves ready for the opportunity that is undoubtedly going to emerge? Maybe you can talk about what your thoughts are on on actually those two different strands and, and what that actually entails for yep. leaders who want to tackle both of those different elements of this crisis that we're in. Yeah, so in the short term, what it means is that we, first of all, and this is for each individual, not just leaders, but it's for everyone, we almost psychically have to gain altitude in our own minds above the situation. And we have to go way above. It almost has to be a sort of psychical out-of-body experience. You have to go way high. And you have to be very mindful of the here and now, absolutely, and all the problems. But you have to dig back into human history to the sorts of things I've described. And then you have to shine your light, your torch, as it were, into that more optimistic future. And I think by gaining altitude, by learning from the past, therefore putting the in context that this is not the end of the world this is not unprecedented that these things happen i think that puts you it equips you better to 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 start to think about the future when this phase of our history is past and, and i think that's what and may I just interrupt for a moment, Tim? May I ask you, is that is that what you do in these kind of scenarios? How do you, and indeed, how do you go about gaining that perspective? What are the, there may be practices or things that you personally do or have come to understand over time help you gain that, like, high, high perspective on the event? Yeah, so the reality for me, um, as a professor of business and political economy, as someone who's had a range of leadership roles uh, over the years,
is both in government. I've been the chief advisor to a prime minister uh, in Central Europe. I've, I've been the leader of one of Europe's important think tanks. I've done all kinds of things. Uh, but the reality of my life is that for all that success, um, I'm also, uh, let me be very open with you, a part-time carer uh, for two very elderly uh, uh, and frail and ill parents. Uh, I'm married to a consultant infection control nurse who is currently uh, leading uh, or has a leadership role uh, in this emergency for eight hospitals. And I have a 14-year-old daughter. So that's the reality of my life. There is, There has been... Uh, professional and financial success, but there are also challenges all around me, given the situation we're in. So the first thing I do, I dig into myself deep, and I dig into history, and I try and gain that altitude. And the first thing I tell myself is, um, well, I actually say, don't panic. This is not (laughs) unprecedented. Um, You know, my parents, they're in the late 80s. They went through World War II. Uh, My grandfather went through both world wars. He was one of the first British officers to the liberation of Belson concentration camp. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in my grandparents' life, in my parents' life, um, systems came, they went, technologies came, they went, systems were destroyed, and they bounced back. So that's what I do in my life. And I focus because I think it's just more helpful for the people around me, for my family, for my friends, for my colleagues, uh, for former workmates, for neighbours in my street. What I do is I gain that altitude. I know, I'm hardwired almost to know that things will be better because I actually believe that tactically and strategically and in terms of my own healthcare, my own well-being and for my loved ones, it is better that I cast an eye on the future, that I am in a sense boundlessly optimistic as being realistic and what that means is having some savings uh, knowing that the government stands behind us all uh, and let me be clear on that if the economy really tanks for a few months things will be difficult but what you do it's what any family would ultimately do what you do is you borrow against the future economy against future productivity um you, you you know you pump prime that money to shore up the economy in the short term. And, you know, you may pay off the debt over 5, 10, 15 years to come. Let me just say to you one thing. Um, what I mean here is the importance, not just of the economy, but of time horizons. So when World War One struck, the British government, of course, had to borrow money. And one of the ways you do that is you raise bonds. Some of the war bonds that the, the United Kingdom raised in World War One some of those bonds uh, didn't have an end date. Um, and in fact, some of them were only terminated um, uh, during, for example, the financial crisis of 2008. So, you know, what the textbooks tell you is that states have enormous resilience. You know, central banks, mm. um, they can act as backstops to shore us up for a, for a fair period of time, i.e. people won't starve, Um, You know, they won't die in the streets. What will happen is uh, the military will be mobilized, our doctors and nurses, all our public, private, military hospitals. There are all kinds of institutions in civil society that will be mobilized. And on all of that, the United Kingdom has huge depth and huge breadth and oceans of experience.
So thank you for that. And I'm aware that when I posed the question, I, I slightly led you down a different path to talk about your own experience and maybe cut off the second part of your answer, which is how do we prepare and uh, for the for the opportunity that would arise. But actually, maybe we'll come back to that towards the end. But actually, what I was uh, minded to ask you about was when we're right in the middle of, of, of all this turbulence that's going on, what do you think about the relative balance of leaders leaning into facts, figures, models, statistics, etc., versus how much they lean into maybe their intuition or the emotional intelligence that's required to support themselves and others around them? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. Uh, so my thoughts are, uh, and this is from my own experience, you can have all kind of quantitative and qualitative information. You can have oceans of quantitative data and qualitative information. But there is, and, and you use the word intuition, I think what I do and what I advise other people to do is to look at those two elements, understand that on the quantitative issues, you haven't controlled all the variables. And often where quantitative information is useful is more a part of the, of the future when you're looking back. Quantitative data is very useful, not least when you want to do ex post facto rationalizations. It, you know, it, it's very good. If, if the government might issue statistics on growth or, or whatever in a particular quarter, but notice those figures are often revised up or down six months later when you have or when they have a fuller picture right. so mm. you've got to you've got to use you know your quantitative and your qualitative in the here and now to answer your question but there is also i think for me a slightly higher plane it's what i or the philosopher michael oakshaw called uh, tacit knowledge and tacit knowledge is back into that realm of altitude and it's where you look at what's out there but it's all about your feelings. It's about digging back in human history. It's about your thinking through the prisms and the wormholes of, it could be theology or philosophy. And it's about you making your own subjective judgment course. And for me, the real essence of leadership, real leaders are people who have the information, they have the data, they understand that a lot of this material, particularly in the short term, will be pretty imperfect. They get altitude, and then they're very, very good at making judgment calls off the back of the tacit level of human experience and understanding. How do you think people develop? I mean, you've talked a little bit about gaining altitude, you know, to, to get a bigger picture about things, but how do you think people best develop that kind of tacit knowledge that you were talking about? I think they do it by being interested, curious, and engaged. Let me put it this way. I don't think it's an accident that many of the top leaders, for example, in Britain, are people who have gone to study uh, whether it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't even know who does it. It's obviously Oxford, but I think maybe Durham or Essex or all kinds of places. It's the sort of people who are curious and interested and want to gain that breadth and their depth. So the sort of people who go to study things like philosophy, 
politics and economics. They don't just go to study economics and do a lot of mathematics and modelling or, or simply do philosophy. What they're doing is they're combining a sort of... Uh, uh, they're picking up, particularly when they're young, intellectual baggage that sustains them through um, the life course and that they can tap into history, some philosophical reflection, etc. So I think that you know, many chair people, many chief executives uh, often have that sort of rounded view. Mm. And if they did study something quite narrow, as they develop, the best of them go on to broaden it out. It, you know, I look at myself, I love philosophy, I love economics, I love politics, I love sociology, but I'm fascinated by lectures and I try and absorb them in those areas even where uh, I might not have deep understanding. So I love listening to physicists or biologists or astrophysicists talking about cosmology. And I think if you feed and nourish your leadership with a very broad radar sweep, mm. it's very, very funny how in moments of crisis like this, you get odd forms of what Jung, the psychoanalyst, called synchronicity. You start to draw on those subjects in your professional practice, in your leadership, little nuggets of gold that you've stored away over the years. Yeah. And that's one of my readings of leaders. Lots of leaders I know have that capacity, that, that, that level of engagement. Well, it's certainly true, and I've certainly come across the idea in the past, particularly in relation to creativity. In fact, you know, if you're an expert in one area, don't read all the literature that's just related to that area. You know, go out and read something completely different because the mind has a wonderful way, doesn't it, of drawing analogies and cross-referencing. And through that, you can actually create a very furtive soil for creativity. Exactly. And I think that that furtive soil leads to better leadership because you, it gives you a, a, a higher level of tacit knowledge and equips you more powerfully to make more effective and robust judgment calls. Mm. Uh, I also was really, um, you used um, the word curious uh, at the beginning of what you were just saying there. And I'm thinking about um, how we can reframe the current scenario to move from a state of anxiety to, to one which we feel more grounded and more effective. And, and perhaps it's engendering a state of curiosity about what might emerge and maybe that brings us back to the second half of that question i asked a little while ago which is how do we start preparing for the green shoots that are inevitably going to come well that's not just a challenge but it's a huge opportunity and we know uh, that in all the dark moments of human history phenomenal technologies solutions growth um, all kinds of wonderful things emerge. So, uh, again, this is very personal, uh, and I'll give you some examples. I believe that it does start with the individual. It starts with each person uh, who gains altitude. They tap into that tacit level. But they almost, I think, uh, in moments like this, days like this, where there are so many uh, known and unknown unknowns, um, uh, what I do is I think it's a tremendous time to take stock um, to think about yourself, where you're going, where the world is going, uh, to envision those green shoots and where you uh, or your organisation 
if it survives, may want to go. And if it doesn't survive, you're going through what Schumpeter called creative destruction. You will have human capital. You will have networks. You will have knowledge that is very, very difficult to destroy. And it will be relevant, you know, in a few mm. months and for new things in the future. So back in 2008, um, I was in a situation where a very, very good and close friend of mine uh, had uh, died of cancer where my wife became for a very brief period very, very ill, and it was all a bit touch and go. Um, and, and of course, the world economy got into horrendous trouble, um, and it started with the housing bubble in America. So mm -hmm. what I did was I took a slight pause for a moment. Um, I audited myself. I gained altitude. I knew there would be green shoots. And I used, because I was fortunate enough to have a few savings, I invested in myself, and I did my fourth degree. I did an MBA with the Open University. And I very rapidly um, geared up with uh, in a, a new qualification, a new way of looking at the world. I had no idea, Sarah, um, when I started reading for my MBA, and I opened the first book for that MBA, sitting next to my wife in intensive care, who was unconscious and had been for a few days, I thought, well, what would she want me to do? Mm. You've committed to do this MBA, so I'm going to sit here, I'll hold your hand, and I'm going to start reading. I had no idea in that dark moment that only a few years later, um, Middlesex University, uh, which is the most incredible, wonderful institution, that they would recognize my experience, my qualifications, um, and they would offer me the professorship that I now have, uh, being professor of business as well as political economy. And that's just a very, very small story. And this is what I mean by the word uh, 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 irrepressible. Humans are irrepressible. And however dark things get, tremendous opportunities and growth comes. And it's not just for the personal and for me and for individuals. Um, that then, of course, bleeds out into the collective whole. It bleeds out for industries, for technologies, for societies and for the world. Yeah. I mean, I like, you know, just as listening to you talking, it's reminding me of a metaphor I draw upon quite regularly. And that's the sort of the, 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 the natural systems metaphor, which is nature is all about decay, followed by regeneration and growth bursting forward, which is inevitably followed by decay. And I suppose to help normalize this which is what you've been doing throughout this discussion is actually this this happens and it's happened before and it will happen again and this is just a phase but during this phase as you were just so eloquently saying this is the time to consolidate really i think is what you're saying there it is and let me build on that by saying that of course in universities like middlesex and you know we, we have brilliant campus in London, we have a campus in Dubai, Mauritius, Malta, we're probably the only UK university that's won the Queen's Award for International Enterprise since the year 2000. So we take a very much a global view. And we're an institution that traces our roots back to the 1870s. So there's not much we haven't seen. And with although we're deeply rooted in London and the United Kingdom, we also take a global view. Now, you know, there are three things I think that, that we at Middlesex have been saying uh, to people in business for, for some time now. The first thing is that change has changed. You know, it's accelerating, mm. it's exponential, it's disruptive. 
whether you're looking at internet connections, data storage, you know, genome sequencing, all of that change has changed. Two, we're living in a world of hyper-competition, and there's always creative destruction. And we may be going through a period of heightened creative destruction at the moment. But in that sense, if we're informed by history, it's not a great surprise. It may be a bit of a shock, <laughs> but it's not a surprise. Let me put it like that. And the last thing is, we know as, as we head towards the fourth industrial uh, you know, revolution, because history won't stop, that knowledge is becoming a key commodity. So when we combine that, um, we do have key signposts onto the road that will inevitably lead us to the future. Let me give you an analogy. In 1936, in Alexandra Palace in North London, not too far really from Middlesex University, um, the BBC started broadcasting television. Now, television was, of course, put on hold because of the war, and most people tuned to the wireless radio. Television really didn't come back to the coronation, the Royal Coronation in the early 50s. But what was clear in 1936 was what the road of communications would be. We had the telephone, we had the wireless, eventually this cathode ray tube, this television would break through, and it did. Mm. We, we know, we have a fairly good understanding of the sorts of futures that we're leading, where change has changed, creative destruction, knowledge becoming a commodity. So once you know that, and you understand that really bigger picture, you gain altitude, then I think people can be reassured that we're not living in a pure anarchy and pure 100% destruction, and this is unprecedented and all the rest of it. And it's in there that the green shoots, and it enables to buttress each of us to buttress our organizations and it entices us where we can to invest and prepare for that future and dare i say it if we're fortunate enough uh, in the current situation for this virus to peak in may or june my goodness yes we might have suffered a horrendous dent in our economy it could go very dark and very deep but if it's a v-shape my goodness those green shoots could be um not too far away and, and i'd like to hold on to that yes i think so and so maybe just to round up our conversation today if you were to give one piece of advice to leaders out there be they just leading themselves or they're leading large organizations what would the bottom line be for you um i think my one thing is uh pause gain altitude, reflect, be very, very kind, share with people in the short term. You know, this is in the short term, you need, however rapaciously capitalistic or free market anyone may be in or an awful business, business relies on that to an extent. In the short term, you need what I would call a healthy dose of voluntary socialism. You need a fair dose of kindness, love and sharing. Uh, and that timeless quality helps to build the bridge to the green shoots of the future where we can then benefit from the rational self-interest, not the greed. Greed is always an advice, mm. but from the rational self-interest um, of business and growth and all the dynamism, all the opportunities that, and all the wealth that, that, that those things bring. So it's gain altitude is my one thing and, and listen very carefully what I've just said and then interpret it in the right way for yourself 
Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. And we can never go far wrong if we act through and lead through kindness, I think. And so thank you very much for sharing your perspective and insights with us today, Tim. It's much appreciated. Pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our conversation in which Tim generously shared with us his wisdom and practice for staying calm and centred in the face of adversity. While the situation we face today is extreme, the opportunity right here and now is to use what is happening to build our personal resilience muscle. Because one thing's for sure, when you are panicking, you are unbalanced and you will not be able to think or act with clarity. And in that state, we can be of little assistance to ourselves or those around us. As ever, I'm reminded of a quote, and today this is from Lou Holtz, former American football player and coach, who simply said, Show me someone who has done something worthwhile, and I'll show you someone who has overcome adversity. That's all from me for today. Stay safe, folks. If you've enjoyed this episode of Coffee and Conversation Workplace Wisdom Unleashed, then please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share on your social media channels. Equally, if you would like to give us some feedback, suggest future guests, share your stories or find out more about leadership, team and organisational development, we would love to hear from you. Do contact us via our LinkedIn pages. These links can be found in the description associated with this episode. Next month, I will be talking to Andrew Burton and will be drawing on his previous experience as MD of Thrifty Car Rental and more recently operating as an entrepreneur and a business angel, supporting a number of businesses, including the care industry across the UK. Andrew will be looking at the values in setting out clear expectations and briefs and how incorporating your human values into these really accelerates the successful outcomes that can be achieved and the engagement that you can gain from employees. The value of being clear and making hard choices seems very relevant to our present circumstances. Stay safe, everyone. Ready to unleash your workplace wisdoms? Well, what are you waiting for?